Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Our reading in Mark chapter 10 tonight will begin at verse 32. And we will continue right through to verse 45. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you that we have come to the occasion for the public reading of Scripture and its preaching. We thank you that such a ministry has been established among us in this place. We thank you that it indeed is a great gift to us that your spirit has tuned our heart to see its worth. Oh Lord, we ask that you would grant that we would have ears to hear, hearts to believe, and wills to obey. Endear to us our Savior Jesus Christ. Make his glory to us so great and so beautiful that the shiny things of this evil age fade and become so easy to let go. Oh, Lord, we pray that Jesus would be more to us and all to us. We ask that you would help us tonight by this reading. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Beloved, what kind of king is this? What kind of king does not reveal, nor assert, nor defend himself before a much lower magistrate, a governor named Pilate? What kind of king quietly allows himself to be easily traded for a murderer named Barabbas? What kind of king quietly tolerates the brutality and mocking of crude soldiers, men of low rank, vulgar men, cruel men, with no interest in kindness? What kind of king allows himself to be stripped naked and nailed to a cross, nailed at the wrist and nailed at the ankle, exposed to all passers-by? What kind of king, if he has any diplomatic connections at all in a foreign city, allows himself to get publicly crucified between two common thieves? What kind of king silently returns no insults when insults are hurled at him? What kind of king who, knowing his deadly fate in the city, nevertheless sets his face like flint to go to that city, to go and bear an awful load, brutality, rejection, death? So what kind of king is this? The prophet Isaiah, bearing witness almost 800 years before these events took place in the backwater province of Palestine in the Roman Empire, Isaiah foretells or foretold of these very days of this very king. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, the servant of Yahweh is speaking before he is even born of a woman, and he says, I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. What kind of king offers his back to violent men? What kind of king does not hide his face from his accusers? What kind of king does not hide his face from those who want to spit upon it? The king himself answers all our questions in Mark 10, verse 42. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is, of course, this servant king who has done all these things that you do not see any of the kings of the earth do. He did not come to be served. He did not come to make everyone give to him that which everyone owed to him. He did not come to force everyone to give him the respect he deserved. He did not come to force everyone to give him the adoration he deserved. He did not come to force everyone to give him the obedience he deserved. He did not come to force everyone to give him the comforts and the riches and the lands 
that he deserved. All of that would be accomplished, but in a way vastly different than the lords of the earth try to accomplish it. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. This means he put himself under us. He willingly demoted himself and elevated our needs over him to the place of being like a master to him. Jesus, who are you serving? I am serving the needs of the most wretched kind of people. Their needs are a master to me. Your great needs became the rule of his purpose in the world. In Luke 22, Jesus reveals this about himself in another way. He speaks of the dinner habits of a healthy homeowner who has a servant. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Do you know the answer? Our Lord goes on. Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus, sit down, sit down. I will not. I have come to serve. That's Luke 22, 26. Jesus is a king who serves. He gives himself away as a ransom for men and women held in bondage to Satan. He gives himself away for men and women held under the condemnation of God's holy law. He gives himself away for men and women who are tossed to and fro by the moods and the madness of this world. A world opposed to God, a world fallen into darkness. The servant king does not stand far away from all of that and yell at it. He enters into all the wretchedness we live with and die by, and he comes and takes our place under it. He takes the accusations that should be leveled at us. He takes the condemnation that should be charged against us. He takes the wounds that belong to us. He takes the punishment that is rightly our punishment. This is the servant king. He would not have you ever get over this. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of God on high in your very nature. Yes, he is king of kings, but he will not allow you to think of him outside of his servitude to you. He is trying to melt your heart. He is trying to lure you away out of that whole culture of satanic recrimination where you only have been trained and discipled by the world to accuse and record wrongs and to count trespasses. That is not the world that Christ has, came, has come to open to us. That is the world he has come to close down, not counting our trespasses against us, not keeping records of wrong. Beloved, who is the Jesus you worship? Who is the Jesus you adore? If the servant king is far from your heart, 
you rarely cry to him. You rarely set your sins before him. You rarely seek his pities and sympathies. If he is not a servant king, then he is simply your coach, your judge. He means to be your servant. When he took off his shirt and wrapped it around his waist and put a towel on his arm and began to wash the feet of his disciples, it was Peter who said, no, no, no. You will not wash me. And what did our Lord say to him? Unless I wash you, you'll have, you shall have no share with me. Because the only kingdom of salvation I bring sets me among my people as their servant. Peter, of course, was thinking... He was honoring Christ by saying those things. But he was honoring Christ on the terms of where he has seen men honored in the world, not on the terms of the kingdom of heaven. The terms of the kingdom of heaven is that he who is in the form of God took the form of a servant and became obedient unto the point of death. We are to never get over it. We are never to think of Jesus behind the gloss in how we think of all rulers of the Gentiles. He he will not let us. I am among you as one who serves. And so he is still, even though enthroned, even though coming again in glory, even though he will come and put his foot upon all his enemies and demolish all sinners as we sang. For those who have entered into his salvation, he is even yet serving them. He is the greatest in his kingdom because he is slave of all. He serves us like the most loving slave, becoming obedient to the point of death. He made himself lower than his royal and divine office required. The royal son, the master of the house, or as Hebrews says, the builder of the house, takes the form of a servant. So rebel sinners who refuse to serve could be made sons and lifted so high. I want to show you just one very special way Jesus served you. Now we heard in Mark 10, 33 and 34 our Lord foretell what would happen to him in Jerusalem. He would be delivered over to the chief priests. They would condemn him to death. They would turn him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would flog him, mock him, spit on him, and finally kill him. And after three days, he would rise up from the dead. All those things happened. Jesus wanted all those things to happen. But for those things to come about, your servant king had to remain silent. Not absolutely, utterly silent. We don't mean that. But silent in regards to his defense. He served you with his silence. Listen to some of his trial later in Mark on the night he foretold in our reading. 
Now we're in Mark 14, verse 60. At this point, Jesus has already been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been brought to the house of the high priest. 1460, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming down on the clouds of heaven. Jesus does not defend himself before these interrogators. He does not reveal private information that he knows about all of them by his divinity. He could embarrass them if he wanted to. He could have had them melt in a pool of humiliation. He does not even engage them in lengthy debates, which he would surely win. He does not call for the more than 12 legions of angels that he earlier that night told Peter he had at his command. He is silent. His spirit is ruled by the needs of his people, by the love of his heart. He has come to die. He has come to lift us up through atonement to the heights of heaven to sonship ourselves by adoption. Now go to Mark 15. Now the Lord has been brought to Pilate. It's the morning. 15.2, are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Beloved, what do you do when you are under an accusation? You muster your best powers of logic and memory. Don't ask me how I know that. I mean, when I'm trying to defend myself at home, when I think I've been maybe accused of something that I really don't want to stick, even though it might be true, I could pass the bar with the skills I use. Our Lord Jesus Christ remains silent. If Jesus had defended himself, he certainly would have been acquitted. He would have gone free, but you and I would still be in our sins. And if Jesus was released, he would not have been cursed in our place, and we would remain under a curse. But Jesus was determined. He was determined, as Revelation 1.5 says, to make from us sinners a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. And to do that, he had to remain silent as it concerned accusations against himself. And think about this for a minute. Our Lord could have spoken with such striking clarity before Pilate in this legal setting that Pilate's conscience could have grown 10 times stronger after just a few sentences from our Lord and Pilate would have released Jesus. Jesus could have spoken with such authority and wisdom that he could have finished that day in the lead of Pilate's cabinet over the entire Palestinian era, area. 
Remember how brilliant our Lord answered other questions and shut the mouths of the people, including sometimes scribes and lawyers? They tried to trap him. They tried to say, what should we do with this coin that has Caesar's image upon it? What did our Lord say? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. And the text says his reply shut the mouths of those who were trying to trap him. Our Lord easily could have mustered this at the moment of his greatest extremity among men. You see, Jesus has the intellectual power before Pilate to become a Joseph, to become a Daniel. Joseph and Daniel spoke with such wisdom and conducted themselves with such honor before pagan rulers. They were promoted to be top men in those pagan kingdoms. Jesus could have taken an earthly throne in his defense of himself. He and Pilate would be sharing pints by the end of the night, but he remained silent. And by remaining silent, he accomplishes your salvation and reveals his identity as the long-promised suffering servant of Yahweh. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The prophetic word, the Apostle Peter tells us, is the Spirit of God testifying to the truth of who Jesus is long before Jesus is born. And all of this is for our benefit. It is to our benefit that the words of prophets are confirmed in the life of Jesus Christ. But the silence of Jesus goes beyond merely confirming prophecy. Jesus remains silent so that your soul can learn to shout contramundum against the world that he is the Savior. He was silent so that you would not have to be. The king of the Jews who has all the wisdom of Solomon and much more, does not try to persuade Pilate for you and me so that you could be persuaded that God justifies the wicked through a suffering servant. J.C. Ryle, 19th century pastor in England, said so well, great is the contrast between the second Adam and the first. Our first father Adam was guilty and yet tried to excuse himself. You remember all the speaking of Adam in the garden? Well, this woman you gave me. The second Adam was guiltless, yet made no defense at all. Because he was on a mission. He was on a purpose. He was on a mission not only to become a curse for you, so that the curse would be lifted off of you, and you could be reconciled to God, but he was on a mission so that you would know how zealous he is that you would continually, now as believers, draw near to this one who is so unashamed of stooping down and serving you day in and day out with his glory. He's so unlike the lords of the Gentiles. They get a little bit of glory, and they use it as a hammer over men. Christ has all glory, and he stoops next to the lowliest sinner who's on his face in his closet, weeping 
for a sin that he has wept for many times before. And there is the king of kings beside him, lifting him up, promising him strength, promising him forgiveness, promising him hope of new beginnings and obedience. Beloved, this is why our Lord would have you never forget that he is the servant king. Let us pray. What wondrous love is this, O Lord? We have never been controlled by such a spirit ourselves as fallen sons of Adam. We cannot go long without speaking against false accusations. How bright shines our Savior before us. How bright shines his silence before us. How bright and glorious is his servitude. Oh, gracious God, we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways that we have transposed upon Jesus Christ the ways of earthly rulers. And this transposition of ours, this fault attribution of ours against him has done us no good. It has made us so very slow to go to him in our struggles with sin. It has made us so very slow to go to him in our need of power through his spirit to do our work in the home, to do our work in the world, to fill our vocations with honor. Lord, we confess and we ask you, please forgive us. We have thought that the best way to honor our Savior was simply to praise him and not petition him. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking him hard because of his great glory, thinking him distant because of his great worth. We pray that we would again see, even here on this table before us, how eager he is to be our life, to feed us again, to renew us in the covenant that he has cut with us by his own body and blood. Help us, Lord, we pray. And Lord, may we never get over that our king is a servant king. May this get deep under our skin. May it fill our heart. May it rule our thoughts and mind. May we not be able to shake it. May it cause us to love him with a sincerity that is new and deep and lasting. Oh, Lord, we pray it would be so. In Jesus' name. Amen.